0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Driving on that man's wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. There's a voice in my head that drives
0: my heel. With
1: your hosts, Clayton Caldwell. My
0: baby calling since I need you here.
1: And John Harlow. And it's
0: a half-past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello everyone, welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with John Harlow. Just one race to go across the board in NASCAR for all three series. They all will determine our champion for 2018. But first, we're going to break down the weekend that was at ISM Raceway, starting with the Can-Am 500 at ISM Raceway in today's event with Kyle Busch going to victory lane. It's his eighth victory of the season, his 51st of his career. He led 117 laps, pulled away from Brad Keselowski at the end, but you can argue he didn't have the best race car. We'll dive into that a little bit, a little bit later, but first of all, Bush, you know, um, I guess in the right spot at the right time was able to, to have a fast race car there at the end and pull away. Cause last he looked like he was catching him a little bit, but at the end it was Kyle Bush standing in victory lane, um, and giving his team momentum as we get ready to home for homestead, Miami speedway, John, uh, what were your thoughts on Bush's efforts today
1: at ISM raceway? You said it right. Kyle Bush was in the right place at the right time. Um, The fastest car of the day, Kyle Busch was never in the conversation. I think the fastest cars of the day were at times Kevin Harvick, at times Kurt Busch, at times Chase Elliott, and at times Eric Almirola. And Keselowski, when he was out front, he was really fast. Same with Kyle. When Kyle Busch got to the front, clean air does make a difference even on that one-mile flat track. But the fastest cars of the day were sitting in a Stuart Haas stable. I mean, Kurt Busch started tail end Charlie on the field after his penalty and drove himself up to where he was behind Harvick in seventh place, working to get that lap back. And he almost was able to pull it off on his own. Um, He could see Kyle Busch in front from where he was. I mean, that was a great comeback from that penalty that Kurt Busch had Harvick. If he doesn't cut that tire down in the first stage. We're talking about a whole different story, but then once. He had to come back from that. I mean, Harvick was his back was against the wall, and he was playing he was more playing more defense than he was offense. Once he got back together and back on the lead lap and everything after that cut tire. And Eric Almirola, he was fighting hard at the end to try to pull that miracle off because he was in a win or lose or win and you're in situation. Anywhere else, he was going to fight for fifth. It was a great day for Stuart Haas, even though only one car made it to the show, to the Final Four, and Harvick wasn't lights out. He was just trying to settle in and make sure that he qualified. He did not want to put it, put himself in any danger, especially when Kurt Busch and Chase Elliott got caught up in the accident. Harvick, at that point, is like, okay, I'm just going to ride around and finish. Kyle Busch? Yeah. Timing was, he hit the lead at the right times. He... um benefited from some of the mistakes that happened on pit road, benefited from some of the carnage that happened on the track, but Kyle Busch did what he needed to. He got out front, he pulled away and stayed out front and didn't get himself in any trouble. I don't know if it's a momentum swing going into Homestead because they're two completely freaking different tracks, but Kyle Busch is going in as the most recent winner.
0: You certainly did not want to, you know, um, have a bad day if you're Kyle Busch. You know, and the bad day started. There was a the thing about this race was there was a lot of playoff drivers um, who had some trouble or, or some issue. You mentioned uh, Kevin Harvick, but the first playoff driver to have some issues was Joey Logano. Um, Logano went out there and he really struggled. You know, he started um, in the ninth position and fell faded early, um, and really was was not running good. And then on lap ninety seven, spun uh, and and ended his day. Um, but, you know, he was just a second driver at that point, a playoff driver at that point to have a trouble. Uh, it was Kevin Harvick at first, lap 72. Um, right as we're closing down on the stage, blows what I believe was a left rear tire, um, spun out, didn't hit anything, but certainly dragged his, the bottom of his race car all up. Um, and the car was never the same after that. He was still very competitive and still very fast. He had to be to get his lap back and to run the way he did at the end of that race, but he was never as fast as he was, even when he got some track position at the end and was able to, um, dice, you know, with, with, some drivers and teams back there on restarts, he was never able to really pull away and catch these guys like he could early on in the event. So I think that was, um, a, a big deal for Harvick. He ended up seventh. Like you said, he really didn't need too many positions after that. Um, but certainly not, not what we scripted for Kevin Harvick. He looked like he was the man to beat early. Um, also, Clint Boyer, John, uh, on lap 135, uh, really d- destroyed his, his uh, IT-savvy Ford for Stewart House Racing today on lap 133, uh, really ending his day in, in dramatic fashion there. Uh, what are your thoughts on Logano, Boyer, and the Harvick incident? You know, obviously Logano's locked in from his win at Martinsville, and that's, that's huge now that he moved Truex out of the way. Th- this weekend at Phoenix, it was huge that he did that. Um, and Boyer really was in sort of a winner go home situation. When he crashed, he was out. Uh, and then Harvick, we mentioned, was in a situation where he looked at times where he was vulnerable because of his penal- points penalty but ended up transferring the Homestead-Miami Speedway. Uh, what were your thoughts on the incidents really between those three guys early on in this race to keep really the interest of the playoffs going throughout the, ra- throughout the race?
1: i race? tell you, it was really interesting um... – Watching some of the race, listening to some of the race, uh, keeping up with where the standings were lap by lap. And it was pretty interesting to see how many people were back and forth. I mean, I swear to God, there were times where I think Kurt Busch was locked in because he was the leader of the race. And then there was the battle between Kurt and um, Kevin Harvick back and forth. Whoever moved up a position, if Harvick passed somebody, he was a point up. If Kurt Busch passed somebody, he was a point up. When you go to the three you talked about, Joey Logano seemed like he did not want to be there at all today. He just seemed like he was there, but he just couldn't get a handle on the car and didn't really seem to care if he got a handle on the car. Phoenix has never really been a good racetrack for Joey Logano. And in reality, it didn't matter because Joey Logano's got his ticket punched to Homestead. If it's a momentum builder, which again, I don't know if Phoenix is because it's a completely different track and a d- different uh, skill set to get around it. I don't know if it benefited Joey from getting the 312 laps and fighting for the lead or anything, or if it was just a ride around, put puncher ticket to say, I started the race and go home. Because it didn't seem like Joey Logano was really into the situation of what the race was. Harvick, like you said, that cut probably ruined his day because whenever it cut and he spun, it probably did um, mess up something underneath the car because, as you said, he wasn't the same sense. And Boyer, I mean, he was trying for everything he could get, and that's what you do. When you're trying for everything you can possibly do, you take that extra risk, and he put it in the wall. But it wasn't like he didn't go down fighting. So you got to give all three of them credit, Harvick, Fighting back from being a lap down, getting himself where he was in a battle with Kurt Bush because, I mean, he only came in with a slim three-point lead after the penalty last week. So he had to keep Clint, I mean, uh, Kurt Bush in his sights all day long and then hope somebody else below them didn't win. And at one point, Chase Elliott was up there, and that had probably had everybody nervous because if Chase Elliott wins, Stuart Haas, which has probably been the dominant team of the season, does not have anybody in the Final Four.
0: Yeah, that would have been wild And really what did chase him was a pit road speeding penalty He lost his track position Had to work his way up through the field um, And got involved in the wreck with Kurt Busch Who Kurt, you mentioned him He was really, really fast in the middle stages of the event It looked like he might win win this race And then he had a a very interesting penalty uh, On one of the cautions Where he pulled up and passed the pace car While going on the pit road, with the new configuration at Phoenix, it was a little different, something they'd never done before, these guys with the new configuration at Phoenix. And he pulled and and sped up to get to the line and passed the pace car before he got to pit road. Kind of a weird rule, not really sure the point of it, but either way, they told Bush in the driver's meeting to not, you can't do that, Um, and he did pass the pace car. And unfortunately for him, they dinged him. They dinged him a lap for it as well, which is really shocking that they did that. And Kurt Busch was, um, you know, in some, in some trouble there uh, and went to the rear, was able to work his way back up into the top 10 before an incident with Denny Hamlin uh, on lap 270 where Busch was on the high side of Hamlin. Hamlin came up, lost control of his number 11 car trying to run for the lead and came up into Kurt Busch. Bush hit the outside wall, spun down into Chase Elliott, to the right side of his car, Did significant damage to Chase Elliott's car. Chase was able to continue, but was never the same after that. Uh, He finished a lap behind um, in the 23rd position. Chase Elliott did a couple, a bunch of laps behind in the 23rd position, ending his championship hopes right there. What did you think of that lap 270 crash and the penalty with uh, with Kurt Busch there and the pit road penalty?
1: Pit road penalty, as Kurt Busch said afterwards, he said, um, if they have it in black and white, I mean it's it almost felt like an interpretation one that he said if I see it in black and white, I'm wrong, I'm wrong. He said I cost the team because they penalize him, so it must be in black and white either in somebody's head or in paper somewhere. Um, but boy did he work his way back. He was driving that thing for everything it was worth. Um at the end of the race, Denny Hamlin was trying to I mean at the end of the day, he still racing for FedEx. He's still racing for Joe Gibbs. They're trying to win races and everything else to do what you can for your team and your sponsors. And Denny was trying to get the lead and washed up the track. It was a racing deal. I mean, Denny Hamlin said flat out, he said, "I've never had an incident with Kurt Busch. Kurt Busch and I have got have raced each other fair and everything." And he said I apologized to him, and I, he said he felt bad because he cost Chase Elliott and Kurt Busch any chance of the championship because he lost control of his car. But he said if I had to do it over again, I'd probably do the same thing. And he said him and Kurt Busch had a beer before they got the plane, and everything was good. So you got you got to like Denny for stepping up and saying, hey, I tried to do something. It didn't work, but I was trying to win for my team. It wasn't like I'm just going to let everybody go. It's not, they're not the only eight cars on the track. So you got to give them credit for that. It's sad that Kurt Busch and uh, Chase Elliott, who both had good cars, both got caught up. And one of the things, I was listening to the pre-race and they were talking about pit road. About how the people were going to probably, there were going to be some speeding penalties because they're, again, with pit road, they do it on time in segments. So they have a certain amount of time in between segments where they estimate what your speed is. It's not like they're sitting there with a radar gun and they get you at 57 when you're supposed to be doing 40. They're timing segments. And if you go lower around the turn, you're going to speed through a segment because they expect a certain time. But if you're cutting the distance short, you're going to beat that time whether you're going over the speed limit or not. So that's something NASCAR's got to figure out how they're going to do it, because if you're hugging the white line on a pit road going around the turn and they're judging you of how much they think it takes you to get through the middle of the turn, you're not going any faster. You're just being being smarter and cutting the distance off. I think it was a great run by Chase Elliott and Kurt Busch to get where they got to. It's sad, and I bet Denny still feels bad for it that – A mistake he made took two contenders out of any chance of getting into the playoffs, but it was a racing deal. It wasn't anything intentional. No, absolutely. And I I think
0: when you look at that, I totally agree with you. I think you have to admire what Denny Hamlin did. And, and, you know, he's still racing. Even Brad Keselowski at the end of that race, people are like, oh, well, why is he going after the 18? You know, God forbid he causes an issue. No, these guys are paid to win races. This is their job to do that. And they have the right to do that, and, and they should do that, and, and they should run hard and give the pan, fans at Phoenix uh, a, a race for them a run for their money, and a race for their money. And they did that. I truly believe they did that. And Hamlin trying to win a race um, this season, he has won every race every year since 2006. Has yet to win a race this year, so he's trying. He's got that on his mind as well as he's going up there to compete for a win. So, yeah, you know what? He, he, he probably messed up, overdrove that 11 car a little bit, stepped up and, and got into the 41, but. That's racing. That's the way it goes, Um, and I I completely agree with you there. We'll give you the top ten today. A couple of of, uh, surprises in the top ten, I guess you can say. Um, You know, with the high attrition rate today at Phoenix, with with it being a playoff race and all that, uh, ten excuse me, nine cars were in the garage area at the end of the race. So a high attrition rate, and that led to some interesting finishes here. Kyle Busch was your winner. Brad Keselowski was second. Kyle Larson finished third. A nice run for him. Amaro, you mentioned earlier, he finished fourth, Kevin Harvick fifth, then it was Jamie McMurray in sixth, Matt Kenseth in seventh, his first top ten since Homestead last year, Austin Dillon eighth, William Byron ninth, and Bubba Wallace in tenth, Bubba Wallace his first top ten in, in, since Texas, all the way back in April, so a nice run for him as well. Now, side note there, John, William Byron clinched the Rookie of the Year title tonight at Phoenix as well, so... William Byron is your 2018 Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series Rookie of the Year. Uh, What did they say about those guys in the top 10 there towards the back end that surprised us um, with some decent runs? I thought Kenseth had good speed, and so did Bubba Wallace all day long, and and they reaped the benefits of of high
1: attrition for sure. Matt Kenseth was running good all, all day long. I mean, you saw him in the top 10. It wasn't like because there was a bunch of attrition Matt Kenseth was in the top 10. Matt Kenseth ran well today. Uh, Bubba Wallace, I think part of that was attrition because there was times where, I mean, he did get put a lap down by Kyle Busch at one point and got his lap back, but it was a good day for Bubba Wallace. Good day for Jamie McMurray and his next to last run with Ganassi. Um, it's nice to see those guys in there, but I think some of it, especially with Bubba, if you take the attrition away, if Kurt Busch doesn't wreck, if if Chase Elliott doesn't wreck, if Denny Hamlin doesn't wreck. Um, if Boyer doesn't wreck, those guys are in the top 10, and Bubba Wallace is having a good day in 17th.
0: Most likely. I mean, but, you know, you have to be in a position to capitalize on things like that when these leaders um, get taken out. And Bubba and Matt Kenseth and Austin Dillon, uh, even AJ Omdinger was in the right spot at the right time there. Uh, one guy I want to talk about, John, and, and as we, you know, now this race is over, we know we're championship four. So it's going to be Joey Logano because of his win at Martinsville. And then the other three drivers, well, two of them transferred on points, um, Kevin Harvick and Martin Truex Jr., and then the win today for Kyle Bush transferred him in to Homestead Miami Speedway. But that brings me up to Martin Truex Jr. You know, listen, we've seen speed from Kevin Harvick all year. Harvick's great on a mile and a half. So I think he's your favorite as this championship gets closer. Um, Kyle Busch, I think, is second. I think Kyle Bush If something happens, he's your second favorite. And then it's kind of a toss-up between Logano and uh, Martin Shurks Jr. But I thought Martin Shurks Jr.'s race today was not very good. He was not in the top ten all day long. I don't think he got any stage points. It just seemed like they were searching. And this 78 car, we know what the situation is with that team. And Cole Pern came out this weekend in an article, I believe it was with Dustin Long, and said, yeah, it's a distraction what's going on with our team. We know we're probably going to be living in different spots next year. We have to pick up our family from Denver, Colorado, and move back to North Carolina to be working in NASCAR still because the only team in Denver, Colorado is shutting down at the end of the year. It weighs a lot on our shoulders. I think this affects the 78 team more than people think it does. And here's Truex in a, in a part of the year where you really want to be uh, not searching for speed. He seems like he's really been searching since July, I think he won his last race in July. They've kind of trutted water. They, they got in and they deserve to be in because he's been one of the big three. But I would not be sitting there jumping for joy if I'm the 78 team. they got some work to do here at Homestead Miami Speedway if they want to win a championship, I believe, on Sunday.
1: Well, not just uh, Cole Pern and them talking about finding somewhere to live in North Carolina because they're their families back. The only two people who have been announced to go to Joe Gibbs Racing are Cole Pern and Martin Truex Jr., the other 50 guys in that shop are either going to make furniture for Barney Visser or, or have to head back to Charlotte and find jobs with somebody else. So the whole team is in turmoil. Everybody's Everybody knows come Sunday night at about 8 o'clock, once they get the hauler packed up, they don't know where they're going after that. So, yeah, that's that weighs a lot on you. If you don't know where your next paycheck's coming from or who you're going to work for next, that's a heck of a lot of extra bonus pressure put on you. But the one thing I can say is there is a determination from Martin Truex Jr. and Cole Pern and that team to go out on top. So they may not have been respectable today. They did enough to get through. And for you to win, you must be there. So they're there. Now it's how good of a weekend can they put together? It's a matter of how good is their engine? How good is their setup? How good is their, how much have they massaged on that body of the car to make sure it performs on a mile and a half? And they recapture the magic that they had last year. I'll tell you though, it's going to be an uphill battle. I don't think the Toyotas have the horsepower that the Fords do. So Joey Logano and Kevin Harvick have the check mark when it comes to horsepower, Uh, raw speed, and the ability. To um, perform on the mile and a half again, I'll go Harvick over everybody else. But one of the things that was interesting that Kyle Busch said uh, after the race, he said three of the four of us have won in this format, and all four of us have lost one in this format. So everybody knows what they need to do going into Homestead. It should yeah. be really interesting come Sunday. Well, it's gonna be really interesting. You got a bunch of good teams.
0: Um, and the thing about you know, I think the person who you, you look at a dark horse because he hasn't been in the conversation all year is Logano. But you know, you mentioned he's lost a championship. He's got also the longest crew chief driver tenure of the four drivers. Um, we know Pern and, and Truex, they've been there. They won a championship. Um, Kyle Busch and Adam Stevens, they've been great. Uh, and then you have uh, Harvick and Childers. They're probably the best in the garage area. Gordon and Logano aren't too shabby themselves either. Todd Gordon and Joe Logano, Todd Gordon's Logano's crew chief. You know, and they've been together I think since, like, 2013. So um, they really – they know each other very well. They know how to build a race car. And maybe they were sort of – and I know they were out to lunch today at Phoenix. But maybe they were sort of, I don't know, looking ahead to Homestead, putting all their focus on Homestead in that 22 car. And Team Penske's been pretty good on a mile and a half of recent, you know, in the summer months, towards the end of the summer into the fall, because Kozlowski won three races in a row, and that's Logano's teammate. So it's not like they've been totally out to lunch, like we've seen the 78 team just not really have the speed. They seem to have the speed. Um, and so I don't think Logano's that big of a dark horse. I think he's got a chance to really surprise some people, but no doubt in my mind, John, and you talked about this earlier, and I completely agree, Harvick, it's Harvick's championship to lose. I've been saying this for weeks. It is Kevin Harvick's championship to lose. I think the only way Harvick loses his championship is if he shoots himself in the foot. This team, I think if this team runs their race and does everything that they're supposed to do, they're going to be in really, really good shape on Sunday to win their second championship. I I just truly believe that. I think right now that four car has the speed every week. Now, who knows? Something could happen where they're low on air pressure and blow a right rear tire like they did today. It costs them a, a, a victory potentially. Um But I think right now, if I'm looking at speed, I'm looking at unbiased, I think that four car is the the favorite to win this championship. Uh, What are your thoughts on on the final four, John, as we get to Homestead? And and what do you think about the potential championship uh, for one of these four drivers?
1: I think, as you said, and both of us have sort of said this for the past few weeks, because of the raw speed, the way they performed, even with the penalty at Texas, I don't think there was that much of a difference. And Chad Knauss said this week that there were a lot of teams changing spoilers to go to Phoenix. So like Rodney Childers said, we weren't the only one. We noticed other people were doing it. So we decided to play. They just got caught. Nobody's been able to touch that for all year long because of the, they figured it out late last year, the way they ran at Texas, they wait. And, To me, the racetrack I think comes closest to Homestead is almost Atlanta because it wears out tires. It's multiple grooves. You can go high. You can go low. Harvick just dominated the field in Atlanta this year. So I think it's Harvick's to lose. I think Kyle Busch will be up there because he's Kyle Busch. I think Logano has a shot because he's got Ford horsepower Roush Yates' engines are ahead of the Toyotas right now. And I think if Martin Truex is going to win it, it's going to be a big gamble by Cole Pern to make it happen.
0: I did too. And I just think the distraction the, the of that 78 team, and, and I, I found it just, I found it, you know, shocking. But I found it almost that that, I guess what I'm trying to say is I found it shocking that Cole Pern would admit to it being a distraction because i you know we can always speculate here we're not in the garage area we never worked on these race cars you know and, and a lot of the times the drivers and teams go "Ah, you're just you know you're making a bigger deal out of it than it is but for cole pern to come out and say that at phoenix this weekend and say yeah it's been a distraction for us is shocking to me because you sit there and you go okay that's not good sign for this team going into homestead miami speedway and i just think with everything going on um you know, and, and I heard they're going to run a, a new a different paint scheme. My guess is the original paint scheme with uh, front motors, furniture racing excuse me, on it. You know, that brown paint scheme that was so famous, that seventy eighteen that we think of. When you think of the seventy eighteen. I think that's going to be on the car at Homestead Miami Speedway. So all the distractions and all the other stuff that goes with this race for section and furniture racing, I think it's going to be very hard to concentrate on this race where – you know, all Kevin Harvick has to think about is run, winning this race and running the championship. Same thing with Logano, and same thing with uh, Kyle Busch. 2X has everything else to worry about. He's going to have a million questions about what does this feel like for your last ride here. What do you have to say to these guys? You know, it, it's just he's not going to want to do it. Um, and He's a really good guy, but I just think that 78 team, to me, it puts him at an extreme disadvantage. And Not only that, but if they had the speed coming into this weekend, I'd feel a lot better about it but they haven't had the speed for a, a few months. So uh, I think Truex is a guy who, might, in my opinion, might even be the fourth favorite to win this championship at Homestead. That's how off they've been. But certainly Kyle Bush and, and Kevin Harvick uh, we're looking at uh, as the potential champions uh, for 2018. Before we move on to the Xfinity series and all that, what was what on with that series, any final thoughts on Phoenix and the championship run, John, uh, for Homestead Miami Speedway and the Cup side of things?
1: Uh, one, one final thought on the 78. They have not been the same since it was announced that 5-Hour Energy was not coming back. And not long after that, Barney Visser said, I'm not putting any more money in it. And you really think about it. God bless Barney Visser for what he's done for this sport. The man's put probably $100 million plus of his own money into this team. And he got a championship out of it. And he's going to walk away by selling a charter, which is probably going to get him a million or two. But the return on the $110 million investment or however much more he put into it, because how many years did he self-fund that team? And you got to give the man credit for being in the sport as long as he has, fighting the uphill battle as long as he did. Um, I don't know if there's going to be another Barney Visser come into the sport. And work himself up from the bottom. I mean, you've got the people like Front Row. uh, You've got the people like GoFast. You've got JTG Doherty who are trying. But I don't know if there's going to be another Barney Visser come into the sport and do it with a single-car team separate from anybody else and making it work the way they did. They just captured some magic in the past couple years with Truex because, I mean, you look, Furniture Row – was an afterthought until about five years ago. If Kurt Busch doesn't have the blow up with Roger Penske and go to James Finch and then furniture row says, Hey, I think we're going to try you over Regan Smith, which is a great move. And Kurt Busch put the pieces in place to say, this is what you need. And if there wasn't the uh, itch gate where Boyer spun and Truex got into the playoffs that year and Napa decides they were going to pull out and, he loses his ride with uh, Michael Waltrip Racing, and if Barney Visser didn't have the patience the first year, Martin Truex was at Furniture Row Racing, because Martin Truex Jr. is a good race car driver, but that first year, I'm not sure his head was in the game because his girlfriend, Sherry Pollux, was going through cervical cancer, fighting chemo, fighting radiation, and everything she could to make her, to get herself healthy. I don't know if Martin Truex gets a second year at Furniture Row if Barney Visser doesn't have the patience that he did. So my kudos to Barney Visser. I hope just for the good story that it would be that Barney gets to walk out on that – take a ride out on that white horse and leaves a champion. I don't don't see it happening because I don't Mm. think Gibbs is going to let himself get beat by his own stuff one last time.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. And, and you're right, You know, we can dive into Front of Tarot next week for sure because that's going to be their final race. But, um, yeah, it, it's they they really left a mark on this sport. And I think the biggest mark they left on it was Cole Pern and Martin Trix Jr., that relationship. Who knows how many races they're going to win at Joe Gibbs Racing for years to come. We, they b- both announced last week that that's what's going to happen. They're going to move to the 19 car replacing Suarez. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be – I mean, who knows how many more races they win together and when you find that crew chief and you, that's why I've always said, you know, uh, um, there's some speculation. Truex was going to leave to go elsewhere. I'm like, he's going to go wherever Cole Pern goes, because when you find that crew chief that you can win a lot of races with, you can do everything you possibly can to keep that going. And, uh, Truex has finally found that he's been in the year 10, he's been in the sport 10, 15 years now. And he finally found that crew chief and builds fast race cars for him. And, uh, they're going to keep that together, uh, as they go to joke is racing. So it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out. Uh, Cup Series wasn't the only one to run their final race of the round of eight. It was the Xfinity Series and the Truck Series as well. But first, we'll talk about the Xfinity Series. Wheel entrusted to perform 200 NASCAR Xfinity Series race at ISM Raceway on Saturday, uh, and the winner of that race was Christopher Bell, who was in a deep hole entering Saturday. Uh, he was basically in a winner go home situation after two real tough weekends, one at Kansas. That was in, that was. Started by Justin Allgaier, who got loose and crashed into the 20 car, and then Christopher Bell at Texas crashed twice, uh, really put him in a win or go home situation as far as the championship was concerned. And then his car did not pass inspection uh, to get to qualifying, so he had to start in a 38th position. And Christopher Bell, as much as people, you know, as much as people call him an aggressive race car driver, showed a ton of patience methodically worked his way up through the field, got to the lead, and when he got to the lead, there was no catching him. He had the fastest car of the day, no doubt about it, went out, and in a win-or-go-home situation, did it, and just dominated the race and won the Whalen Trusted to perform 200 in a spin victory for Christopher Bell and that 20 team at Jokins Racing, and they advanced into the Final Four after a victory at, at Phoenix, uh, what are your thoughts, John, on Christopher Bell's performance? Because to me, John, um, and I've always been high on Christopher Bell, this could have been a disaster for him. You know, he wasn't put in a good situation with the last two weeks, but for his car to fail inspection and to go to the rear of the field and to start in 38th, and I know he's a joke in racing, but there's a lot of stuff that can happen. It's not the Cup Series where the, there's a lot of drivers who have been doing this for 10, 15 years.
1: This week semi-series, most of
0: these drivers are down in the Xfinity Series because they still have a lot to learn. So it's not like – and sometimes Christopher doesn't even have to deal with most of their drivers in the 15th to the 10th position. But he did this weekend at Phoenix, and he methodically and calmly worked his way through the field in a situation where you could have very much uh, lost your composure and, and caused a wreck. There was a time where I thought Austin Cedric, I don't know what he was doing down the back straightaway, slid tried to drive his car right into the right left side, uh, fender of Christopher Bell's car. And Christopher Bell could have lost it and said, you know, I'm going to go wreck Austin Cedric. He didn't do it. said, okay, I'm going to hold back. I got a really fast race car. All I got to do is go out here and make my moves and do what I have to do. And I'll win. This was Christopher Bell's best race of his career. It was a statement race. And I think it puts him back into the favorite to win the championship. Uh, at homestead miami speedway for the nascar xfinity series
1: i don't put him as a favorite but i do say this was christopher bell's coming out party in its own way uh christopher bell has had a great season he runs great in joe gibbs equipment and he was already in a winning win or go home mode because his two races before he had wrecks and there was no way he was going to point his way in he was so far back he had to win or go home but he goes out and does it, especially after starting in the hole of tail end Charlie of the field. I think it is a statement race for Christopher Bell and his team that they can come from that far behind in that shorter race. I mean, they only had 200 laps, so he came from tail end Charlie, and it wasn't like he won it on the last lap. He was leading with uh, plenty of laps to go. Christopher Bell put in a great performance. If you're asking me who I expect to win at Homestead and I would put as the favorite for this championship, look at what happened at Texas. Who dominated that race? Cole Custer. Who won the race at Homestead Miami last year going away? Cole Custer. I would not be surprised if Cole Custer is your Xfinity Series champion just because of – Again, the horsepower that they're getting from Roush Yates' engines, the way Cole Custer – I mean, he won that race by, what, 10 seconds last year? Yeah, I think it was even more than that, yeah. And if they have any kind of race sort of like that this week, it's, okay, thanks for coming. It's my race. You guys battle for second. You're not going to be in my area code, so I don't have to worry about getting in any trouble. I think the big thing, yep. with Christopher, like you said, he's an aggressive driver. And the fact that he had his spotter calm him down whenever he was ticked off at Austin Cindric who was uh, like the old David Reagan, when he first came into the sport, a dart without the feathers. Cause Austin Cindric if he was, if he was going down, he was going down, taking others with him. And mm-hmm. unfortunately uh, well, fortunately for Christopher Bell, he didn't retaliate or get caught up in the mess enough that it would have hurt his day. But Christopher Bell showed a different kind of driving style, a different ability, uh, running the race on Saturday. But I don't make that I, – I, until something changes or until we see that Cole Custer goes out and qualifies 30th and his 10-lap average is about 17th, I have to go what I saw last year. And I think Cole Custer's a better driver this year than he was last year. So right now with the way the track is, the way the team is, if you give me my choice of who I think is going to win the Xfinity championship, I'm going Cole Custer, then Christopher Bell, then it'll be a battle between Hemrick and Raddick for third and fourth. That's the way I see it setting up right now. Interesting.
0: Um, And, and, I'll give you the top ten here from the Xfinity Series real quick, and I'll give you the top the four who advanced. Chris Bell was your winner. Daniel Hemrick, second. Matt Tift, good run for him in third. Austin Sindrick, as we mentioned earlier, was fourth. Ryan Priest, fifth. Tyler Reddick, sixth. Brandon Jones, seventh. Cole Custer, eighth. John Hunter, Nemechek ninth. And Spencer Gallagher finished in a tenth position. Uh, Bell, Hemrick, um, Reddick, and as you mentioned, Cole Custer, Will be the, the drivers who advance to Homestead Miami Speedway. Uh, listen, Christopher Bell's won seven races this year in the Xfinity Series. It would not surprise me for, to see him go out and win the eighth at Homestead. Sure, Custer dominated that race last year. Let's see how good Custer is, though, when he's got some pressure on him, and in a situation where he basically, I think the only way Custer wins this championship is if he beats Christopher Bell and outruns him. Um, and, and wins this race. So he's got a lot of pressure to go out there and do that. Uh, I, Hemrick is nobody to, nothing to sleep on. The only problem with Hemrick, in my opinion, is he hasn't won a race this year. Uh, he's going to Cup next year, and I think he really wants to win his championship. There's no doubt about that. He's been probably the most or second most consistent driver on the circuit this year in the Xfinity Series, but he has not pulled in the victory lane yet. Um, so. He could do that certainly on Sunday, uh, but it would be and how dramatic would it be for him to get his first Xfinity Series win and win a championship at the same time? That'd be wild. And I think Reddick's a guy who he's a lame duck driver at the end of this year. He's moving to, to Richard Childress Racing at the end of the year, replacing Hemrick. Uh Really, I think he's a dark horse to win this championship. But you never know what happens at Homestead Miami Speedway. But um, I, I just can't say enough, John, about Chris Bell's run at, at Phoenix. I just thought it was uh, so impressive to watch him do what he did uh, in the Xfinity Series. Final thoughts, John, on the Xfinity Series race, uh, the Xfinity Series season, before we move on to the Truck Series event
1: from ISM Raceway? Um, I think one of the surprises is Justin Allgaier did not make it through. Um, When you look at the junior motorsports team coming into the season, we all knew that Michael Annette's there because he brings a sponsor check. But we always thought between the three junior motorsports drivers, it would be Elliot Sadler or Justin Allgaier in the final four before it was Tyler Reddick. And Tyler Reddick stayed consistent, didn't have the issues that Allgaier and um, Elliot Sadler did. And now he is the standard bearer for junior motorsports. And even though he's a ling duck driver. If I'm I'm Dale Jr. and I'm Ryan Pemberton, the guys who are running the show at that shop, everything is going into that nine car this weekend. Everybody else, thank you for coming, but we're going to try to win a championship because this is who we have to attach our horse. I mean, this is who we have to attach our wagon to. And Tyler Reddick is going to be the horse that's going to lead junior motorsports. Do I think they have a chance? They have a fighter's chance if something happens to Christopher Bell or Cole Custer. But right now... Unless something happens to Christopher Bell or Cole Custer, those are the two that I think will be battling for the championship. It's new to Cole Custer. Christopher Bell won the Truck Series Championship last year, so he understands what it takes to win a title. I still don't think Cole Custer hasn't been there, but he won at this racetrack last year. And he won going away. When other people were fighting for a championship, he blew them out of the water. So until they show me indifferent, I have to go with Cole Custer as my pick because most recent evidence is Cole Custer is 15 seconds better than the field. Right.
0: It's going to be interesting to see how Custer performs this year at at Homestead. There's no doubt. I I hear what you're saying for sure. I mean, if this was a normal race and a normal weekend, what we've seen from Custer this year, I don't think there's a no-brainer, but... Uh, with how convincing he won last year at Homestead, uh, it certainly puts his name uh, much higher, in my opinion, in the championship talk than it would have if it was just a, another racetrack other than Homestead. Diamond seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Talking in circles. Clayton called John Harlow. And before moving to trucks, I agree with Allgaier. Allgaier had a great year this year. It's to see him not run for the championship at Homestead, but they really struggled in the playoffs for whatever reason. They couldn't find set up uh, some weekends. They had some bad – some rotten luck there, too, on that seventeen. team. Uh, but he had a great year, nothing to hang his head about uh, as he gets ready for 2019. And he's he's got um, really nothing to hang his head on, John Allgaier. He's just, um, you know, take this. you got to lose one before you win one. That's what a lot of people say. And he hadn't really been in the championship talk in the last recent uh, – the last few years. So – he loses one this year, Allgaier, and I think he's going to be a player for next year's championship as well, uh, but nothing to hang his head about for sure um, in, in this year's championship.
1: Yeah, I think Justin Allgaier is going to be the standard bearer for Dale Earnhardt Jr. next year. They got Noah Gregson coming in. You've got Net sitting there, and the fourth car is still up in the air of who's going to drive it. So especially with Tyler Reddick uh, leaving to go to Richard Childress Racing, that fourth car is still up in the air of who's going to end up taking it over. But Junior Motorsports is going to build around uh, Justin Allgaier next year because he is the standard bearer right now. He's the best they have coming back. One thing I also have to – I thought about as we were finishing up with the Xfinity Series, and Cole Custer, yeah, he's never raced for the championship before. But one of the things that he has in his corner is whenever he won the race at Texas, he said, I was just trying to follow Kevin Harvick's line. He said, Kevin Harvick has been in my ear about how to drive this racetrack, how to do XYZ, how to have the mental stamina to be able to stand up to the pressure that's going on. He has Tony Stewart as a car owner. And if Tony Stewart can talk Kurt Busch off a ledge, that means Tony Stewart has um, really calm. I mean, the race owner, the team owner part of Tony Stewart has taken over compared to the driver end of it, because the driver of Tony Stewart would have been just as Kurt Busch and probably would have been looking for um, Denny to let him know what he thought about the accident. Um, I think Cole Custer has a great amount of championship knowledge it's going to be soaking in this week to help him understand what it's like to go through all the press that's going to happen Wednesday and Thursday, what it's going to be like whenever they drop the green and it's you and three other guys that are racing for that championship. Tony Stewart's won titles. Kevin Harvick's won a title. They're going to be helping him out and helping get his head right. Because at the end of the day, a win for Stuart Haas racing is another win for Ford and it'll make the team even grow better. So I'm looking forward to seeing how Cole Custer performs in that, but he's got a lot of people who's going to be able to help him out. For sure, there's no doubt about that.
0: Moving on to the truck series, uh, Lucas Oil 150, ISM Raceway as well this weekend, the uh, last three weeks of the season in NASCAR, all head, triple header weekends. Uh, you know, And next week at Homestead, we're going to see that as well. But it was Brent Moffat in victory lane, in the Shiggy truck. truck. Uh, finishing second was Noah Gregson, third Harrison Burton, Grant Enfanger was fourth, Stuart Friesen, Enkram was sixth, then it was Johnny sauter Derek Krauss, Christian Eckes, and Sheldon Creed, your top ten um, in the truck series at ISM Raceway. Moffitt's had a great year, John, uh, and another strong performance there for him in that team. Uh, there was a lot of talk about his engine program. We'll get into that a little bit after this. After this, But what were your thoughts on Moffitt's run in the, the whole Lucas Oil 150 on Friday night on ISM Raceway?
1: That was a big ballsy move by Brett Moffitt to pull that win out. He went to the bottom, and he started that restart in third and came out of turn four in the lead. Big move by Moffitt, great work by Moffitt. And Brett Moffitt, all along, one of the few things, even though Michael uh, Michael Waltrip's a train wreck and Michael Waltrip is a total mess when it comes to team ownership and driving and all that good stuff, Michael Waltrip could spot talent. And Brett Moffitt was one of those talents that he spotted years ago. And because Brett Moffitt hooked himself up to Michael Waltrip, probably regressed because he was associated with Michael Waltrip. Uh, Brett Moffitt is talent. He's shown it. He stuck around, did the best he could. He unfortunately ran into Red Horse Racing, deciding to go out of business while he was in the top 10 in points and wound up filling in anywhere he could. And when he did, he ran well. And when Ryan Truex uh, decided to go Xfinity Racing and the ride opened up at Shiggy Racing and Brett Moffat filled those shoes, and he's had a great year. It's not like he just lucked into the wins that he got. He pulled away with a lot of those wins. He's been consistent. And especially for a team, at one point, remember, we were debating whether or not they were going to start and park to make sure they were eligible for the championship because Moffitt had wins and was going to qualify. And Shigiatori racing was struggling for the finances and for them to have a chance to, excuse me, win the championship. They're in the final four coming off a win at Phoenix where Brett Moffitt makes a move that is unbelievable. I said, going after the cup race, I'm not sure if momentum goes forward because it's two different racetracks but I can tell you his team believes in him a little more because of the move he made and what he was able to do in there. So they're going to push a little harder. They're going to work, do everything they can on pit road to give him the best possibilities. Because when it comes down to the end, they're going to think that their driver can do more than somebody else can. You look at Johnny Sauter, gotcha. won it before Go ahead. and uh, Sauter has won before. So, I mean, you got to give him, Almost the favorite status going in, but I'm telling you the way Brett Moffitt has run the way Brett Moffitt ran on Friday night, the way his team will believe in him because he made a move that he probably shouldn't have made and it worked out for him. He had the balls to do it. I think it's between Brett Moffitt and Johnny Sauter who have been the class of the field most of the season. I think it's between those two for the championship.
0: Interesting. I, I, you know. I think this is pretty the most wide open of all of them. Sauter, no doubt, I think it's the favorite. Um, and it's in case you didn't you missed the race on Friday. It's Brett Moffat, Justin Haley, Johnny Sauter, and Noah Gregson uh, in the the championship four they call it at uh, Homestead Miami Speedway. Um, and Matt Craft and, and Gren Enfinger uh, were eliminated from the contention on on Friday night at ISM Raceway, but. No doubt, I think Moffitt's move was terrific, uh, but really he got a lot of. I guess there's, they say you know, any PR. There's nothing such thing as, as bad PR, bad publicity, but there was some some real critical publicity at the end of of the race on Friday night at ISM Raceway. Uh, and if you're not familiar with with the situation in the Truck Series, I'll try and explain it here a little bit. Um, so the Truck Series this season introduced what. Is known as through through a lot of racing ranks as sort of a crate engine uh, in the truck series we call it a spec engine an Elmore engine right here called as well where it's a cheaper engine it's provided by NASCAR um, and it's it's designed to keep costs down uh, and you don't have to run it but you know these teams obviously who run it uh, it's a very competitive engine they run it because they don't have an engine. For example, Chevrolet really doesn't have an engine package based around the, the truck series anymore. Neither does Ford. Uh, so the Chevrolet teams and the Ford teams have all run the crate engine this year, uh, the spec engine this year. Brett Moffitt's team and I think there's another other, another Toyota team have run the engines from Mark uh, and TRD, I believe it is. And Moffat's going to run these engines, this engine at Homestead Miami Speedway as well. And they seem to have a little bit more horsepower than the spec engines do. So Johnny Sauter, who drives for, for GMS Racing, and um, uh, Justin Haley, who also drives for GMS Racing, were very critical saying, we don't think NASCAR should allow this team to do that. We think they should sort of be on a level playing field with everybody else and use the, the spec engine. They shouldn't be allowed to do it because their manufacturer funds Mark Comquist. And, and allows them to run the engine, they shouldn't be allowed to run it. Um, kind of technical, a lot of technical stuff there, John. But what are your thoughts on that, those comments from Sauter and Haley? Do you think Moffitt should be able to run that that those en- that those engine at Homestead-Miami Speedway? And do you think he's going to have an advantage uh, as a Gilda Homestead?
1: I think that's uh, sort of the typical back in the old days of NASCAR, you whine enough. If Ford whined that Chevy had too much going on, they'd add like a quarter inch of spoiler or Ford would get an extra inch or something on the nose or something like that. The rule has been there since Daytona. You've had the ability to either use an engine that you built or the Ilmore spec engine. And because Chevy and Ford... Don't really – I mean, I still believe – I think uh, every now and then for like the plate races or something like that, I think Thor Sport wound up getting uh, getting Rush 8's engines for that. But I think the rule's there. There's nothing that Brett Moffat and his team are doing that is against the rule package. So I bet whenever Noah Gregson goes in there and he uses a Toyota engine as well – they're not using the spec engine at Kyle Busch Motorsports. I can promise you that. But you don't hear them bitching and moaning about using Kyle, Kyle Bush's team using that because Noah Gregson at times can be the dart with the feathers off. I mean, Noah Gregson is a young driver coming up. Brett Moffitt has the experience. Brett Moffitt is driving for probably the most underfunded team of the group. And throughout the year, they ran some spec engines with that Cheggy Ettore team. But when it got time closer to the show and Toyota wants to win the championship, Mark invent, uh engines became available to them at a price they can afford. You want to win a championship. If that engine is available at a price you can afford and it's within the rules, guess what? You're making that switch. And I totally agree. To there's nothing to be apologizing for. Um, if I'm Brett Moffat and... Uh, Scott Zippadelli, I'm saying, okay, they're nervous about us. Now let's go out and give them a reason to be nervous.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's um, it's a little, you're right, it is sort of throwback to the old days where, you know, the Chevrolet's would complain about the Ford's or the Ford's complaining about the Chevrolet's or the Planting Acts and stuff like that, and they would get what they really wanted at the end of the day. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see NASCAR rules here because. I believe it was Texas, and I might have my races wrong, but I believe it was Texas where they didn't allow Quam Quest's engines to be run. They had to run a crate engine or a spec engine, whatever you want to call it, Moffat's team, Shiguitori's team. So um, I wonder if they're going to do the same thing and say, you know what, it's a championship race. We kind of want everybody on the same level. I think that would be wrong if they did that because really, I, what I think would be wrong, and you both have a good point about it, it's been the whole year. You know, To me, I think it would be wrong to do that because – been a whole year, and it's been a rule a whole year. And not only that, Moffitt's setups are built off the horsepower that that team, that engine gives gives him. Um, so he'd be at a disadvantage to go with a little bit less horsepower because he'd have to change his setup. Where Sauter and Haley and Gregson, who have been running that engine, um, have based their setups off what that horsepower gives them. So, you know, and when you change your horsepower in your car, you're going to change the setup a lot. So I think, um, you know, at the end of the day. Uh, It would really hurt Moffitt to do that. And if you want to put in a rule next year before the 2019 season, say, you know what, we kind of didn't really like what that uh, 16 16 team did uh, last year. We really didn't like that. We didn't really like the championship run where somebody's running a different engine. Fine. Make this rule change between the seasons, before next season. But don't do it with one race to go in the playoffs. I have a big, big problem with that. Um, and I understand Soder's concerns, but, again, it's been like that the entire year. So, um, yeah, I, t- I think it's totally wrong, and they've got nothing to hang their heads on. But the thing about Moffitt, John, and here's where I'd be a little concerned, and, and I know he's going against Haley, who's a rookie in the truck series, and Grayson doesn't have that much experience, but Johnny Soder's been in this series for a long, long time. And Moffitt's never run in, at Homestead Miami Speedway in the truck series. In fact, his only start in a major three divisions in NASCAR at Homestead-Miami Speedway was when he was in the Cup Series coming a 34 car for Front Row Motorsports a few years back. So it's not like he's got a ton of experience to go out there and compete and say, I've been to Homestead five times, I know what I'm doing. He still might be searching for that line there. So that's a little concerning with Moffitt, who's in his first full-time season in the Truck Series. Um, you know, we look at him as a veteran. He's got a lot of experience because he's been around for a while. but He's run races here and there. He hasn't run a full season uh, in in a lot of divisions. So I think that's something to keep an eye on um, as we move forward here. So, listen, I I know, John, I'm excited. Go ahead.
1: I agree with that, Clayton, because the first time he ever ran at Phoenix was Friday night in a truck, and he won. He made a move that you probably shouldn't make, and he made it stick. So I think him and Scott Zipidelity know what they're looking for in, a, in the truck. I think between the practice sessions they're going to have, I think they'll get what they want, where they need to be. And the thing is, when you look at the way the race goes, especially they're going to run it, what, five o'clock on Saturday or something like that, that track changes over time. So it's not like you're going to go out there with the initial setup and that's going to be what you run all day. Cause I mean, you look at some of the race today in the cup series, they asked, uh <clears throat> whatchamacallit, call it, uh Tony Gibson, if they made any changes to Harvick's car, and he says, no, we haven't even put a wrench to it yet. And they said the same uh Johnny Klostmeyer said the same thing with uh Kurt Busch. We haven't put a wrench to it yet. Maybe we'll make a maybe we're making a mistake, but we haven't put a wrench to it. That cha- that track in Homestead, Miami changes with sun going to dark. It's a whole different track between the two. It's almost as uh heat sensitive as Charlotte. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes. But Brett Moffitt never drove a truck at Phoenix before Friday night, and he won. So I, I'm i not going with that argument. Johnny Sauter, just because he's Johnny Sauter, and they've won a championship together at GMS Racing, and he knows how to win a championship, I'm not discounting him one bit. But I still would not count out Brett Moffitt and put anything against him because somehow, some way, this underfunded team who could have went out of business in the middle of the season is right there in the championship four, coming off a victory. When your driver did something in your equipment, he probably shouldn't have been able to do.
0: Yeah. I mean, that was a great, great move. No doubt about that. And it was a very impressive race for Moffitt. This whole year has been very impressive for that Shiguitori team and Moffitt. Uh, I think he's really proven that he can, in the right stuff and given the right opportunity, he can win a lot of races for an organization. Uh, you know, And this championship, John, is, is so interesting because I love Homestead. Homestead is such a great racetrack. I think it's the perfect place to host this championship. And I don't want to take any light off the championship, but there was some silly season news announced over the weekend as well. And, uh, you know, as, as even though we're not finished with the 2018 season, it's always never a bad time to look forward to look ahead to the 2019 season. Um, and like I said, there was some silly season news, and that's Jeffrey Earnhardt who uh, – and we only got about 90 seconds left to the show here, but I want your opinion here quick. Jeffrey Earnhardt running nine races next year for JGR in the Xfinity Series. What were your thoughts when you read that news on Saturday afternoon?
1: Joe Gibbs is looking for money. I've never seen anything, but then again, I've never seen Jeffrey Earnhardt in decent equipment, so it could be something special for Jeffrey Earnhardt. But I've never seen him do anything special. I look at it, there are other development drivers who have come through Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, the kid who's running Arca still, I think he's a better driver than Jeffrey Earnhardt. There are other people out there, but Jeffrey Earnhardt has money attached to him. He's going to get nine races in the uh, 18 car, and they see where it goes from there. To me, it was like a ho-hum. Okay, somebody's still attaching money to Jeffrey Earnhardt, and it's almost like Joe Gibbs is like, okay, I'll take your money could have been Junior Motorsports. I mean, if Junior isn't hiring his nephew, what's that tell you?
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Well, apparently he never went up to Junior and even discussed the situation with Junior or Kelly Earnhardt, which is, is very interesting in itself um, about that. Well, I want to thank everybody for listening to Talking Circles. We'll see you next time here as we get ready for the championship at Homestead Miami Speedway. Good night, everybody. We'll see you next time.